I was a, a little league star. I was the biggest kid on our team. In fact, uh, you know, I was uh, bigger and stronger, more athletic than the other kids our age. I had grown faster and all of that kind of stuff. And I was the best hitter on our team. But there was this one kid in our league, he was bigger and stronger and faster than all of the rest of us. He was six feet tall at the age of 12. And rumor had it that he could throw a fastball as fast as Nolan Ryan. But it wasn't the fastball that scared us so much. It was the fact that at 12 years old, he was the only kid in our league who could throw a legitimate curveball. He would, he would throw it, it would start out right at you, and as you were bailing out, it would break over the plate, and the umpire would call strike three, and you'd be out. And we were terrified of this kid. I remember watching him warm up the first day that we played against him. I remember he was pitching on the mound, just warming up, and the catcher's mitt was making this popping sound, like, well, it didn't pop like that when I was warming up, let me just say that. And, and it and he would throw those fastballs and you would just be terrified and then he would mix in a curveball and you'd just be dead. Well, you know what? After the first three innings, I think he probably struck out every kid on our team. And it was probably the fourth or fifth inning when I was coming up for my second at-bat of the game. And the coach pulled me aside and he put his arm around my shoulder and he said, Doug, you got to hang in there on this curveball you know that when he gets ahead in the count, he's going to throw you the curveball. And, and you got to hang in there. Don't bail out. Don't be afraid. The rest of the team is watching you. You've got to be courageous. You've got to set the standard. You've got to be the example. Don't bail out on the curveball. And so I stood in there, and the first two fastballs went right by me. It was 0-2, and I was shaking. It's hard to hit when your knees are knocking together. And, and then came the pitch that was coming right at me. And I remembered what my coach said, hang in there, hang in there, it's going to break. Well, it turned out it wasn't a curveball, it was a fastball. It was coming right at my face. And at the last second as I bailed out, I put my hand up to block my face. And the ball hit me on the side of the wrist and made a cracking sound that sounded like I had hit a home run. Well, I ended up in the hospital getting x-rays, getting splints and all of that kind of stuff because uh, I had injured my wrist. And I never forgot the lesson that I learned that day. Here's the lesson. Don't be courageous. You're just going to end up getting hurt. And I got to be honest with you when I say that lesson has stuck with me for the rest of my life. And I'm sure that we've all learned that lesson a time or two in our lives. Hey, don't be courageous because if you're too courageous, you're probably going to end up getting hurt. But there's another side to that coin. On the other side of that coin, there's a whole other problem because here it is. Without courage, you'll never live the abundant life. And God created you to live an abundant life without significant courage. You will never be able to join God in changing the world. And God created you to be an instrument for changing the world. If you want to live a life that cannot be explained apart from the miraculous power of God, 
If, if what you want is to thrive rather than just survive, if you want to look back at the end of your life with a sense of satisfaction, if you want to stand before Jesus one day and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant, then you're going to have to live a life of extraordinary courage. There's just simply no other way. And with that in mind, I want to introduce you to a Bible character. You're familiar with him, but you may not know a lot about him. His name is Joshua, and they named a whole book about uh, a whole book after him in the Old Testament. So, if you want to go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter one, now would be a good time to do that. But see, the thing about Joshua is he was put into a position of leadership, but he was never really a natural-born leader. In fact. He was a servant. He was like a glorified secretary. He was, he was a butler to Moses for 40 years. He, he spent 40 years standing in the background while Moses did all of the heavy lifting, so to speak. But then something happened that thrust him into the spotlight before he thought he was ready. Moses up and died. Right when it was time to go into the promised land, Moses dies. Here they are on the, on, the, on the brink of the moment they've all been waiting for. They're standing on this side of the Jordan River, looking across the river into the fortified cities that are there. And they know that this is the place God has given them. This is the promised land. This is what they've been waiting for. And Moses just dies. And it's time for Joshua to step up and lead. And we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 1. So I hope you're there by now. In the book of Joshua, it's kind of early in your um, Old Testament. Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And I just want you to follow along with me as we read the first nine verses of Joshua chapter 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying... Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea, toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory." No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to it from the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
Can you just see God pulling Joshua aside and sort of putting his arm around his shoulder and basically saying, Joshua, it's going to fall on you now. Everybody's watching you. Everybody's scared. Nobody knows what to do. Everybody's watching you. They know that Moses is gone. You're the one that they're all watching. You're the one that's setting the example. Now, what you've got to do here, Joshua, is you've got to be courageous. You've got to be strong. You can't let your fear control you. You've got to step up and lead these people because I have this great plan for them. I have given them this land, but all you have to do now is take it. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. In those few verses we just read, he says it three times. And if God has to tell you three times to be strong and courageous, you could be sure of one thing. He's about to ask you to do something crazy. Be strong and courageous. And it wasn't long before God started issuing crazy orders. If you just turn a couple of pages to chapter 6, Joshua chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. Now, before we go on, I just got to ask you to stop and put yourself in Joshua's sandals here for a second. God pulls him aside and points out Jericho. Now, Jericho is the most fortified city in the land of Canaan. There are walls all the way around the city. There are skilled warriors atop the walls guarding the city. And what God says to Joshua is this. See, I have given you this city. And I think this is the point in which Joshua looks around and goes, Am I on candid camera? Is this some kind of a joke? You, see, I have given you the city. What I see it's a giant wall. What I see is an army of warriors who want to kill me and all these people who are with me. When I look at my people, I see people who've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. These are not trained warriors. What I see is death waiting for us on the other side. But God says, see, I've given you this city. It took faith to see what God was pointing out. You see, all of the evidence was that the city was impenetrable. There was no way they could take this land. But God wanted them to see beyond the walls and see the power of God. And he was about to demonstrate that power because it gets even crazier. Look at verse three. He gives them directions. Here's what we're gonna do, he says. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. And you shall do it for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Oh, good, God. Now I get it. I was afraid there wasn't going to be any priests with trumpets. Now, now I understand. I see. We're going to walk around the city. We're going to do it every day so it's predictable, so they know what we're going to do. And, but, but, but there's going to be some guys with trumpets, so we don't have to worry. 
Verse 5, it shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. Right. We're going to shout. Okay, so there's going to be a horn blow and then a shout. And that's the point when all by themselves, the walls are just going to fall down. I get it. This is nuts, you guys. This is crazy. Now, you've heard the story before. You know that the people of Israel end up in the promised land. You know that God does miraculous things. But I'm asking you to put yourself in Joshua's shoes. Put yourself in the shoes of the people who are being asked to follow Joshua. This is crazy talk. But it's also world changing. And listen, I want to be clear here. I am not advocating that the Christian life is somehow about just taking ridiculous chances and and, uh, foolish uh, risks. That's not the point here. In fact, I, every time I read this passage, I'm reminded of this old tired joke you may have heard before. Uh, you know, it's, it's the traditional story about the guy that comes up to the gates of heaven and Peter is there. Apparently in these jokes, it's Peter's job to interview everybody on their way into heaven, right? And so Peter is there and he's interviewing this guy and he's asking him about his life and he says to him, you know, did you ever do anything that was particularly noble or particularly courageous? And the guy thinks about it and he goes, well, this one time I was, uh, I was eating with my wife at a, at a restaurant on the patio. And all of a sudden we heard this rumbling noise and we looked and there was a gang of hell's angels that came down the street and they were just revving their motorcycles. There was about 15 of them and they just stopped their bikes right in front of the restaurant where we all were and they're just revving it up and laughing and creating smoke and ruining everybody's dinner. And so I got up and I went to the guy who was obviously the leader and I go, hey man, knock it off. And he got off his bike And he said, what are you going to do about it? And I punched him square in the face, knocked him down, reached down, grabbed the earring out of his ear, ripped it off and threw it at him and said, and don't you guys ever come back. Peter looked at him and said, man, that is impressive. That is courageous. When did that happen? He said, about two minutes ago. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about stupid, crazy, ridiculous, risk-taking stuff for the sake of saying you're courageous. What I'm talking about is taking God at his word and when his word challenges you to do something that is scary to you because you know that you don't have the power in yourself to do it, I'm talking about having the courage and the strength to say yes to God because you know what God's strength is all about. If you just walk in obedience to the Lord, you don't have to seek thrills. They will find you. I'm just talking about having the courage to say yes to God even when you don't understand. God really does want to change the world through you. And most of us don't think of ourselves as the world-changing type. 
But you know, God has a track record of using some of the most unlikely of people. Remember the story of Gideon? I, here's what I, we're not going to look this up, but I want to encourage you. Uh, during your quiet time this week, I know you're, you're going to be spending time in the Word this week, right? You don't just rely upon Sunday mornings for your one spiritual meal a week, right? You're in the Word every day. Well, this week when you're in the Word on your own, in your quiet time, I want to encourage you, take a minute and check out Judges chapter 7. It's an amazing story, and I don't have time to read you the whole thing right now, but I'll give you the highlights. Here's basically what happens. There's this guy, Gideon, and he's working, and, and God comes to him and says, I have a, an assignment for you. And, and Gideon says, well, wait a second, I think you've come to the wrong place. I am the youngest son in the weakest family, in the lowest tribe in all of Israel. I am the bottom of the totem pole. I don't think I'm the one you want. And God said, you'll do. And God said, there is this terrifying enemy, the, the Midianites, and they've, they've gathered with the Amalekites, and they've created this massive army, and they're going to attack Israel. And what I want you to do is I want you to raise up an army to face them, and I want you to lead this army. It's, it's crazy. It's a, the, let me just read to you um, from Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7, verse 12. This is what, how, how it's described. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts and their camels were without number as numerous as the sand of the seashore. So there's this big army and they're coming and you Gideon are going to lead it. So gather all the people. So he puts the word out to the people of Israel and 32,000 men show up. These are not trained soldiers. These are guys with clubs and pitchforks, but they're going to do their best and they're scared. And God says to Gideon, hey Gideon, um, there's too many guys in your army. Too many guys. Yeah, too many. There's too many. I know that if 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 I give you this battle, they're going to think they did it by their own power. So here's what you do. You tell them, anybody who's afraid, go home. Now there was 32,000 men and 22,000 of them went home. That left 10,000. And you know what God said? You guessed it. Your army is still too big. And so God reduced the army to 300 men. And then God gave him the game plan and God said, here's what you're going to do. I want you to take torches and pitchers and I want you to hide the, the, the burning torches in the pitcher. And then when it's time, just break the pitchers and shout. And then that's how you're going to win the battle. This is dumber than the plan about marching around the city of Jericho, right? This is craziness. So you got a bad plan, you got a bad leader, there's no way this is going to work. I'll let you read the rest of the story to see how it turns out. But let me ask you this. Do you ever feel like you were meant to stand on the sidelines and watch while the real people of faith live the abundant life? I got news for you. God's plan for you is much greater 
than you can ever imagine for yourself. And it's not about you anyway. It's about him. It's about his power, his glory, his fame, and his plan. Remember, Moses was a fugitive when God called him. Remember, Daniel was a victim of human trafficking. David was a runt. Rahab was a prostitute. Elisha was a farmer. Ruth was a widow. Matthew, a tax collector. Esther was a concubine. Peter was a fisherman. And you sit here wondering, can God really use you? God has a pretty good track record of using people no one would ever expect him to use. God didn't use these people because they were so impressive. They're so impressive because God used them. None of them saw themselves as world changers any more than you do. But they knew they had a world-changing God. And by his grace, they had enough courage. By his grace, they had enough faith to obey him even when they didn't understand. You see, truly great people in this world are not intrinsically great. It's just that they know that their God is great. So they're willing to step up and join him as he does great things. And by the way, most of the greatest things that happen in this world go unnoticed at the time. Most of them are not thought of as great things. You know, somebody taught Sunday school to Martin Luther King when he was a little boy. Somebody prayed diligently for Billy Graham when he was a wayward teen. Somebody gave Charles Spurgeon his first opportunity to preach when he knew he wasn't ready to do it yet. Somebody encouraged and nurtured and ministered to Elizabeth Elliot when she was a grieving widow. Somebody taught David how to take care of sheep before they ever knew he was going to need those skills to fight a giant. And somebody took the time to share the gospel with you. Somebody took the time to invite you to church once upon a time. Somebody made the effort to encourage you when you were ready to give up. To patiently listen to you when you just needed to talk and you weren't ready to hear any answers. The truth is we all face our share of giants in this life. We all stand and look at fortified cities in this life. We all find ourselves in over our heads again and again and again in situations where we can't possibly win the battle. Challenges that are too great for us. Opportunities that seem too risky to try. Enemies that we have no idea how to defeat. It's a good thing victory doesn't depend on us, isn't it? The Bible calls us to walk by faith. What does that mean? It means to live our lives practically day to day as if we actually believed what we say we believe is true about God. You talk about strong and courageous people. When I think of that phrase, be strong and courageous, my mind always goes to the children of reigning hope in Uganda. Every time I'm there with them, 
when you pull into the, the house, it's like a walled, sort of almost a compound there. And as you pull in, the children are waiting for you to get there. And they, and they line the driveway and they cheer for you when you come in. And when you leave, they gather around near the gate and they chant, strong and courageous, strong and courageous, strong and courageous. Every one of those kids can quote Joshua chapter 1 to you. Because they understand that the, that the obstacles they face are massive insurmountable on their own strength. But I've known these kids since they were little and a lot of them are now grown and they're becoming doctors and lawyers and political leaders. They're changing their country. They're changing their culture. They are stepping up strong and courageous, willing to face whatever the Lord puts before them because they know they may not have any power in themselves, but they serve a world-changing God. They're an example to me every day. Some of you are teachers and you just got word that you've got to go back to school and teach in a context and a situation you have absolutely no idea how you're going to make it work. Some of you are parents. You're watching your children drift away from you and away from God and away from the opportunities that God has placed in their life. And there's nothing you can do to stop them. Some of you are facing financial hardships that you simply do not have the resources to overcome. Some of you are losing battles on a regular basis with temptation, battles with anxiety, battles with addiction. And you're so used to failing that you can't imagine ever having victory. Well, I have good news. It's not about you. It's not about your power. It's about your God and his plan and his ability to carry it out. He is standing between you and the walls of Jericho and he is telling you about a plan that he has to transform the world through you. He is calling you to unlearn that lesson that we all learned as kids. Don't be courageous because you're just going to get hurt. And instead, he's asking you to trust him enough to obey. To obey his word. How does God come and put his arm around our shoulders and encourage us today? He does it through his word. Are you willing to obey the word of God? Even when what it teaches is so hard to imagine? Are you willing to trust him? Even when you don't understand? That's called faith. That's called courage. That's called the abundant life. One of the saddest verses in the whole Bible is found in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. We won't look it up, but I'm going to put it on the screen in a moment. God has been describing the society that has turned its back on him and how they're going to be facing his wrath because of their sin. Their political leaders have messed things up and they're just making things worse. Their teachers are teaching them things that are not true. 
their spiritual leaders are looking out for their own best interests instead of the interests of the people that they're supposed to be leading. And everybody in their society is basically doing what's best for himself. And God comes along into that situation and he speaks these words from Ezekiel chapter 22. He says this, And I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me from the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. At a time when the society had turned its back on God and they were about to face his wrath, he looked for just one person. One person who was willing to step up. One person who was willing to be strong and courageous. One person who was willing to trust him more than they trusted themselves. And tragically, he says, I searched the whole land and I found no one. Are you willing to stand in the gap? Are you willing to step out in faith and obey God? Even when it's scary and you don't understand how it could possibly work out? If so, the adventure begins right now. Only be strong and very courageous. Father, it's with humble faith that we come before you today confessing that the giants that we see before us, the walls that we see before us, the challenges that we see before us, they just seem too big. They seem too overwhelming. Some of us have gotten used to failing in our attempts to walk by faith. So here we are, Lord. We have nothing to offer except ourselves, and so we offer ourselves and we ask you, Lord, to fill us with faith, to make us people who are strong and courageous, not because we believe in ourselves, but because we believe in you. And as we do so, May you fill us with your spirit and may you change the world through us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.